0: as we were singing this morning, the word that kind of came to, to mind for me was uh, safe, a safe space. And that's something that I hope that, that people feel this morning, um, and if you're new here especially, that this is a safe space. It's a space where you can be yourself, come as you are, a space where we can sing words like that, that, that we're not enough unless Jesus comes, you know, to admit that, and uh, to be vulnerable in that way. And so I just wanted to share that this morning, and that's my heart as well. And as I, I it, it goes full circle because I sense as well this is a safe space for me to share and for me to, to share from Scripture because we're all together in this. We're all as a community um, looking to hear from God as a community, looking to God for new things. As we think about the Kid Zone and their theme of launch, you know, they're having a launch this morning. They're actually literally going to be sending off bottle rockets. <laughs> so they're launching things. But that comes to mind that this is a safe community as we're launching into new things together um, through what God's doing. And God is always at work. So I wanted to share that, uh, just that sense that I was getting um, before I speak this morning. And uh, I'm going to be speaking from um, Acts 8 today. So if you have a Bible, feel free to, to open it up if you prefer that. The words will also be up on the screen. And actually, I'm going to move this over slightly because I like to kind of read along with you um, as, I, uh, as it's up on there. But um, yeah, just to, by way of introduction, um, you know, sometimes things happen in your life, right? Things that are, that are tough that bring heartache. And it can happen to you as an individual. It can happen to your family, to uh, your community, and uh, you know sometimes that can involve your your faith journey. And and sometimes things can happen to a community that are that are tough, that that bring heartache, that that bring pain. And in those situations, the word that comes to mind to me is it just plain stinks, right? To put it bluntly, it's just tough. And uh, when you're in that kind of a scenario, especially if it involves your your faith, I know the that the natural reaction can be, you know, what I, maybe maybe it's just like we should throw in the towel, you know, maybe we're just not sure how to how to carry on in this, and that's a natural reaction. As I said, the safe space. It's we we did a, a series on grief not too long ago and talked about the importance. Of you know when you're in a tough time, it's important to acknowledge the loss, acknowledge the pain. Don't run from it, and and pray into it. And we're going to be reading about a, a, a story in Acts eight. I felt like God led me here today, Acts eight, where the early church uh, they're they're in a time of difficulty. That's for sure. They just lost Stephen; that he was the first Christian martyr, and now they're in a time of persecution. So they definitely had every reason to go with that natural reaction of, you know what, things are getting a little too real here. Things are getting a little too tough. Maybe we should throw in the towel. But as we read, what they do instead is they remain faithful to their calling. We're going to read about one situation where Philip and and Peter and John, they remain faithful to their calling. They trust that God's still at work. And as we see, God does some incredible things. Through through all of that, so we're reading that today for that kind of encouragement, and I think that that desire for all of us—I know in, in my heart—and I think all of our hearts—to trust that God's at work, to trust that that God is doing things in and through us, and that God can do incredible things, just like what we read here in this story. So. Um, as I said, I'm going to be reading from Acts 8, and I'm going to go through it, just I'm going to let it lead us along, and I'm going to read little bits and pause to, to talk about it a little bit and to make it, um, to drive it home for us, and then go back, and we're just going to follow the story through together. So we're starting in verse 1. Now the context, Stephen has just died. Stephen has just been put to death for his faith. So that's how it picks up. And it introduces us to Saul, uh, who would eventually become the Apostle Paul. That's significant in itself there. Um, So it says, Saul was one of the witnesses to Stephen's death, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers, except the apostles, were scattered through the regions of Judea and Samaria, Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. So (laughs) there we see in in a snapshot the kind of hardship that the early church found themselves in here. At this point, this is very close to the beginning of things, Jesus, they've just, they've just been witnesses to Jesus' resurrection, and he's just not too long before this sent them out to be witnesses. He sent them on this great mission. He says, go out and be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and into the ends of the earth. So they're just on that. Now all of a sudden, one of their own, who they greatly love and respect, they've, they've suffered this great loss. And it, there's no time to really do, to really even reflect on it. Because then all of a sudden it says that same day there began this great persecution. People were being thrown into prison because of their faith. So you can imagine what's going on in everyone's minds there. They're sad, and it shows it here. They're in mourning. So they take what time they have to mourn together and to acknowledge the loss that they've been through. But then they're scattered now. So not only are they sad, I'm sure they're afraid here. They're afraid. I mean, someone powerful in Saul, who he's one of kind of the leading Pharisees, he's one of the religious elite who has a lot of power to throw people in prison, as it says. He's after them. He's actively working to destroy the early church. So I'm sure there'd be a lot of fear there on top of the sadness that they're going through. And, uh, they were scattered on top of that. They started out in Jerusalem. They were all together in Jerusalem. And now because of this great persecution, suddenly they're being spread apart. They're no longer all together as one community. So they can't even really kind of seek solace in gathering together like they would normally. So that's the beginning. Talk about a beginning, (laughs) right? It really sets the tone for what's happening here. It really shows us that the stakes are really high here. So let's read on. So it says, uh, but the believers who were scattered preached the good news about Jesus wherever they went. Philip, for example, went to the city of Samaria and told the people there about the Messiah. Now that word but there to me, that's that's a big but (laughs) there because as we just talked about, they had every reason to maybe decide, you know what, this is getting a little too hard, maybe we should throw in the towel. And imagine if they did, right, that would have been the end of the early church. It just would have been gone into obscurity. But we get this big but here that instead, the believers, they took this even as an opportunity. They trusted God. They took it as an opportunity to spread the good news. They figured, okay, we're being scattered, so let's take this as an opportunity to spread the good news. And you get this impression that a lot of people were doing this. So in this time, they said, you know what, I'm going to trust God, and I'm going to remain true to the the calling that Jesus had just given them. And so they went and preached. And Philip now, we get Philip as an example of one kind of situation where one person decided to trust and decided to preach the good news. So let's read on. Verse 6. It says, crowds listened intently to Philip. Because they were eager to hear his message and see the miraculous signs he did. Many evil spirits were cast out, screaming as they left their victims. And many who had been paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. So this is pretty significant now if we think about where we're coming from in a lot of ways. We see that God's clearly with Philip. So any worries that God wasn't still with the early church, I think, are, are done away with right here, because Philip is very much, through Philip, God is putting the kingdom power on display as he's casting out spirits, as he's healing people, and it's leading up to this situation now, all of a sudden, of joy. And I read that, and it hits me. It's really significant. We, we started not too far before this, a situation of sadness, of fear. Now we're in a situation of great joy in the city. God, using this situation of them being scattered, suddenly now that sorrow and fear is being turned into joy. That's the, the power of God in this situation. And this, let's just uh, talk about Samaria for a moment too, because that's really significant. The fact that he's in Samaria is really significant. First off, it shows that God is certainly at work, because remember what I said just a bit ago, Jesus gave them this commission, go from Jerusalem, go out into Judea, go into Samaria, you know, and the Spirit's going to empower you to be my witnesses. So they're really following out Jesus's prediction here, what he foretold would happen. It's just, it's happening maybe in a way that they didn't really expect. You know, if they got to choose how it would happen, it probably wouldn't go this way, but still... This isn't catching God off guard here. God's using this. And two, the fact that it's Samaria shows that this is a really significant thing that God is doing. You've probably heard this before, so I'll keep this part brief. But the context here, Samaria is kind of, you know, there's, there's not a lot of um, good feelings here between the Jewish people and Samaritans. So, And this group of people that are going out, this is a group of Jewish believers, so it's kind of they're headed into an enemy region here. For a lot of reasons, we can you feel free to ask me afterwards, but on, at Jesus' day, they're basically the Jewish people and Samaritans were enemies. And, uh, you know, and the feelings were mutual. So Philip is going into a place where it'd be like the last place you'd expect for people to have this kind of response. But yet, that's exactly what's happening. So let's, uh, let's read on here. <clears throat> so we're going to start at, at verse 9. So it says now here, so, you know, they're moving in, but okay, now things aren't going to be uncomplicated here either. We, we're introduced to a new character here, Simon. It says, a man named Simon had been a sorcerer there for many years, amazing the people of Samaria and claiming to be someone great. That's the plot twist here. Everyone from the least to the greatest often spoke of him as the great one. The Power of God they listened closely to him because for a long time he had astounded them with his magic and uh, it 's interesting here, so one of the early Christian writers, Justin Martyr, talks about Simon as well, and he fills us in a little bit more on the details because um, Simon is really well known here in Samaria for being a sorcerer for his his magic, his his power. And he's also apparently, according to Justin Martyr, he's well-known even into Rome, even all the way to Rome, where Justin Martyr says there was a statue to this guy that said that he, I want to get this right here, the inscription on it said, to Simon, the holy God. So Simon's a bit of a big deal here (laughs) that they're encountering. This guy who's been doing magic, who's been really, who they believe is the power of God. So in other words, there's already someone here who's playing God in their lives, who, who is already kind of a substitute for their, their, what I would call maybe their God needs. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and so what I mean by that, so magic, I took, did a little bit of digging here, and this was good. Um, magic in this time, I, when we hear that word, we probably think something like, you know, he can make things disappear, he can do, like, kind of powerful things, or we th- I don't know, we think David Blaine or something like that, right, where you just kind of do really impressive things, but, and showy things, so that you think of it as, oh, wow, they were just really blown away by the tricks that he could do. But no, actually, in in this time, magicians were really what people looked to for hope and security. So it was believed that, that magicians in this day, they could cast these spells called binding spells, and they were paid. People would pay them to do it. And what it would be is you would pay them to bind a certain outcome to a scenario. So, you know, you would pay them to bind a victory to this athletic contest that's coming up. And they would, ca- they would do this spell and give it to you. You'd have it written down, and you'd keep it with you. And the hope was that, yeah, you're going to be guaranteed victory in that contest. You know? Or you, know, you would ask them to bind financial success to this new business deal that's coming up. Or you'd ask them to cast the spell so that you'd have a happy, a happy marriage, that sort of thing. And it was the belief that they had this special connection to the gods that they were getting this power to make this stuff happen from the gods themselves, that they had this direct link to the gods' powers. So hence why they're looking to him as the power of God. They look at Simon as the guy that can make things happen in their community. So he's the guy that they're looking to right now for hope in the future and a sense of security, a sense of control in maybe how they were feeling. Life seemed kind of random and out of control. They were looking to Simon as the guy for hope, and uh, hope in a, in a brighter future. And, uh, you know, that just goes to show, I think, because that desire, that when I put it that way, that's something that continues on. I think of anywhere I've gone, I, I even think of the, you know, in my own heart, that desire for for hope and security in the future, that's a pretty natural one. And it just goes to show that that people are going to be looking to kind of meet that need, and they be looking to meet that need and wherever you can find it, whether it's a, a person, an institution, an organization, a thing, but we place our hope in things, in the hopes that they'll give us security, they'll, they'll give us that hope for a brighter future, and that sort of thing. And it just goes to show what, what uh, Philip is coming up against, I think, is pretty universal, so, okay, so let's, uh, let's keep moving on because here's the thing. God uses this too and in a pretty, uh, I think, in a pretty cool way. But you wonder, okay, what's going to happen now? Now that we've been introduced to Simon, what's going to happen? Is this going to go south? What's going to happen? It says, okay, but now the people believed Philip's message of good news concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And as a result, many men and women were baptized And even Simon, then Simon himself, believed and was baptized. He began following Philip wherever he went, and he was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. So now I see a new dimension here to these signs and miracles. I actually see it as a sign of God's love, a sign of God's grace here. I see God working through Philip, to meet people where they're at. God knows the desires of this group of people. <laughs> they are a lost group of people just looking for hope and security. And when you put it that way, right, those desires aren't wrong in and of themselves. We all have them. It's just what you do with them, right? If you start putting hope in things that can't kind of pay back what you're looking for, that can't provide what you're looking for, it can be harmful, Or you start doing things with those desires that might hurt other people. That's when it becomes harmful. But the desires themselves, I see God as looking at those and saying, look, look at Philip here. Look what's happening there. And you can trust me. God's saying, you can trust me to give you that hope that you're looking for. You can trust me to give that security. And he even does it in a way that communicates, that drives the message home to them. Because He's using Philip to perform these miracles, to perform these signs and wonders, to heal people, showing them, look, I know you've been looking to Simon before here, but you don't have to. You can look to the God of the universe here who has come in Jesus to show how much he loves people. You can look to me now for that hope in the future, for that sense of desire for, for security and that sort of thing. And it's interesting how Simon goes along with it too. It says, Simon himself believed and was baptized. But it's a bit ambiguous there. It says he was following Philip around wherever he went. He was amazed by the signs and great miracles Philip performed. You wonder there, is he amazed in that he wants to get to know God more? Or is he just amazed because he wants to learn more about the power that Philip has? He wants to get in on the secret here of these signs and miracles. Okay, so, uh, so let's um, read on here. So verse 14. When the apostles in Jerusalem heard that the people of Samaria had accepted God's message, they sent Peter and John there. As soon as they arrived, they prayed for these new believers to receive the Holy Spirit the holy spirit had not yet come upon any of them for they had only been baptized in the name of the lord jesus then peter and john laid their hands upon these believers and they received the holy spirit so let's just talk about that for a second so i see you know the fact that peter and john came that shows me that everyone's together on this there's still unity in the early church and they're coming to work with Peter. This is a coordinate. sorry, with uh, Philip. This is a coordinated effort. And the Holy Spirit coming in this way, um, this, I see it, it's not only encouraging the Samaritans, this is a major encouragement for the early church as well. This is one of those major indicators that God is very much at work. This would have kind of cast any doubt to the side that God, whether God is at work. Because the fact that the Holy Spirit is coming upon Samaritans, this would have confirmed to them that they are now in a whole new stage of history here (laughs) with God and what God is doing. Because Peter and John and Philip, they would have been brought up in this idea that someday, someday the Messiah is gonna come and God's gonna usher in a whole new age And in that age, the Holy Spirit is going to be readily available, is going to be freely available in ways that we haven't even seen ever before, in ways that we couldn't even dream of. We get a hint of that early on in Acts, right? When when, um, Peter addresses the crowds, when when all of a sudden the Holy Spirit has come upon a number of people and they're speaking in different languages and and come upon all the disciples and Here's what Peter says. You remember, he says, quoting the words of the prophet Joel, and in the last days, so in that new age of the Messiah, in the last days, it will be, God says, that I will pour out my Spirit on all people. Before they had been used to the Holy Spirit just coming upon special people in this way. But in this new age, that they're, it's being confirmed that they're in. It's the Holy Spirit's freely available. It doesn't matter who you are, what nationality. doesn't matter whether you're a man or a woman, slave or free, any stage, class, whatever. The Holy Spirit is freely available. So this is encouraging them, showing them, yes, we're in this time. And on top of it, just one more quick thing here because I found this encouraging too. On top of that, again, the fact that it's happening in Samaria would have been so exciting for these people as well, because this was foretold too. In, in Isaiah, there's this verse that says it's talking about this new age, and it's talking about how um, this enmity between this, this rivalry, this jealousy between Samaria and Judea, it's going to be put to an end. It says um, in Isaiah eleven thirteen. 13, "...then at last the jealousy between Israel and Judah will end. They will not be rivals anymore." And there, Israel, it's referring to Samaria. Because when when Isaiah was speaking, Samaria was kind of like the capital of Israel. He had the northern kingdom of Israel. He had the southern kingdom of Judah. And it eventually grew so that there was this rift. And it's saying in the last days, this is going to happen. The rift is going to be mended, and they're going to come together. And so here you've got these Jewish men, Peter and John and Philip, coming from Jerusalem, coming from Judea, and this, the rift is, is ending, and the Holy Spirit has come. So all that to bring in this, this background here, that what's happening here is exciting, and what's happening here is, has this major historical importance, all to show <laughs> that God certainly isn't absent in this time. God is very much at work, and there's no, no doubt In anyone's mind here, Uh, major things are happening. But, okay, let's keep reading just a bit more, because Simon now enters the picture again. Things get a little bit complicated again. So it says, When Simon saw that the Spirit was given when the apostles laid their hands on people, he offered the money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. So now we get a little more insight into Simon here. He's maybe interested in Jesus, but he's also interested in continuing on his business. He's also, like, he's the power guy. He's known for the power. And he's seeing that the the apostles and the disciples, they've got this power. So he's like, how can I get in on that? Maybe I can pay them. He probably had a lot of money. So he's like, can I pay you? Can can you, can I pay you so you can let me in on the secret of the Holy Spirit here? And here's how Peter replies. Doesn't mince words here. He gets straight to the point. Um, but Peter replied. I'll Just wait till he gets there. We go. But Peter replied. May your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. Repent of your wickedness and pray to the Lord. Perhaps he will forgive you your evil thoughts, for I can see that you are full of bitter jealousy and are held captive by sin. So the here, the apostles see what's going on here. They see in Simon that he's said, I believe he's been baptized, but up to this point, he's not getting it. He's not getting it. I've read one commentator who said, you know, we could maybe say he's had a counterfeit, um, uh, he's got a counterfeit belief here so far. And um, what I see happening is such an important part of all of this. I think here we see the importance of community in all this, the importance of community in what God is doing, Um, the importance of community for holding each other, I guess, holding each other to the higher standard, so to speak, here. Because Peter doesn't hold back. He could have. He could have kind of said, oh, it's okay. You know what, Simon? You're a little bit confused right now. No problem. Give it time. You'll be okay. He doesn't. He goes right for the jugular in words I don't think I'd be able to say that. He goes pretty strong here. But he goes right for it and says, no, you know what? I can see that you're still held captive by sin here. You're still thinking but from your jealousy, you're still thinking from that captivity to sin that you are in. And what Jesus wants to do is completely set you free from sin. Jesus wants to completely set you free from the jealousy, from those kind of old that old way of doing things where you thought that you had to be the one to bring, you know, security to that you had to play God. You need to let that go and come fully to Jesus. And I see here just that importance of community being that that safe space for people to to talk openly in that way and to help each other maybe see our blind spots and to help each other to grow and to to learn the truth. So um, what will Simon do? It's a bit of a cliffhanger. You wonder, okay, what's going to happen now with Simon? So here's what it says in uh, verse 24. He says, pray to the Lord for me. Simon exclaimed, that these terrible things you've said won't happen to me. That's a pretty, if we're just following the story, that's a pretty ambiguous response, I'd say. So Luke, as a good storyteller, Luke is the one who's writing uh, the book of Acts. He could have filled in more of the details. He could have followed uh, Simon along a bit further and, and told us exactly how things turned out. But he leaves it kind of for us wondering well, is that, was that authentic here? Was that real? Like, it seems like maybe he's just kind of afraid here, and so he's just offering, like, that kind of a thing. It doesn't seem like maybe he's being, you know, real about this. So you wonder, what's going to happen with Simon? And whenever that happens, I think it's there purposefully. You're left to wonder, okay, we don't know what's happening, so what's that teaching us, you know? What's that saying to us? What's what's the Holy Spirit want to do with that <laughs> those questions that we're left with. And uh, I invite you to, to think about that, to reflect. I'm not going to offer any thoughts right here, but I'd be interested to hear what you think. Um, but so we're nearing the end of the story now, and uh, we've kind of gone through this. We've seen what's happened with, the, with Philip. We've seen what's happened with Simon, and here's how it closes off. Here's the conclusion, uh, the ending of the story. It says, after testifying and preaching the word of the Lord in Samaria, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, and they stopped in many Samaritan villages along the way to preach the good news. That's the, the closing of this, this uh, story that we have, this event that's happened, this really significant event. And... When you read that, that they, you know, Peter and John returned to Jerusalem, but on the way they stopped in many Samaritan villages. And you can imagine the stories that would have come out of each of those villages that they went into. But all of this, we're seeing that this region, Samaria, has been transformed. They've been transformed. What started as a region that was like enemy territory and on both sides um, has, and with this guy, Simon, who was their resident sorcerer who they were looking to. Now it's been transformed. It's been transformed into villages that are believing in the good news. Villages that are deciding to follow the way of Jesus instead of kind of continuing on in what they were in. Who are witnessing the power of God in their lives. Who are witnessing the kingdom come in their lives. And all because the early church decided in this time of hardship, right? We started out, the beginning was that time of persecution at the hands of Saul. This time where they lost one of their own, Stephen, who was very much that they loved and respected. They had just lost him. But because they had that that decision to be true to their calling in this and to trust that God is at work they together saw God do this incredible work in Samaria. And I think as I've been reflecting on this this week um, and reflecting on why um, I think the Spirit moved me to, to this passage for us today, I think about how we too can be Peter and John and Philip. And I think about how we too, if we come together, and moving forward, taking this as a launch, taking this as a time where we are being called to, to stay true to our calling as the peer. Where we're being called to, in this, you know, this new season, the season of fall, moving into the school year, into the work year, people are kind of re, re-gearing up and making their plans for the year. And as we're planning out our small groups and our youth group and all of that stuff, I see that we can be and we can see what, what's happened here, even in our midst, that together, if we are true to our calling, we, and we trust that God is at work, we'll see God transforming the Samaria around us, the Samarias around us. Places where we would think, okay, God can't do anything there. Places where we figure, okay, it's beyond hope for God to move. We could see God at work and God transforming and all in and through us, as as a community, we can see that together. So that's that's what I wanted to share today. And uh, I would love to to hear from you. You know, if you have any questions, um, feel free to contact me. You know, if you if you want prayer um, on this through the week, feel free to contact me or or uh, anyone um, from from our staff. Or um, we just we're here for you. And I want to invite the the worship team to come up now. For, uh, for our last song, um, to have a chance to now worship God from this space, hearing God's encouragement to us. Um, but as they're coming up, uh, let's pray together. Let's take a moment to, to pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, just, just uh, thank you for who you are, Heavenly Father, that you revealed yourself and are revealing yourself through Jesus that you are love, right down to your core. You are love, you are grace, you are mercy. And we saw that in this story today. We saw that in this story, that that you reach us where we're at, you you touch us where we're at in our lives. And uh, I pray that uh, that would really sink in to us today, that we can trust you because you are perfect love, and I pray for us as, uh, as individuals and as, a peer, as the peer community, as a, as a local church here, that you, you love us and that you want to do amazing things in and through us. So we just want to submit to you, Holy Spirit, and just ask that you would guide us, that you would lead us along, and that even in times of, of heartache, even in times of pain, that we can trust that you're still at work in fact, that you are working in and through those times. And just by your Holy Spirit, spur us on to, to remain faithful to the calling that you've placed upon us, each of us individually, and the calling you've placed upon the peer to love people like Jesus, to love Brockville like Jesus, and to, to bring that hope that, that your gospel message brings, Lord Jesus, that, that hope that comes from knowing that the God of the universe loves us and wants to bring restoration and reconciliation into our lives, especially with, with you, Lord God. So I pray this in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen.